0: Hey fam, welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. So glad you're here. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 25. Our guest today is a pretty incredible story, and it just goes to show with enough hard work and dedication and love for the animal, you can really get as far as you would like to go in this sport. He is a top hunter rider and most recently a top jumper rider here to talk about how he got to where he is today. I am so excited to announce our guest, Jeffrey Hessling. Hey, Jeffrey.
1: Hi, Bethany. How are you?
0: Good. How are you doing?
1: I'm well, thank you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Of course. Awesome. Well, I would love to hear a little bit about your story. I think we've known each other for like almost a year, but so I feel like I know a little bit about you, but I would love to kind of hear about how you started riding and how you got to where you are today and what what you're up to currently.
1: Yeah. um, So I started riding when I was nine years old. I was a little bit late to kind of start. I was born into a non-horse family. So, you know, I didn't have that immediate connection. But from a young age, I definitely loved like the animal itself, not to sound like cheesy. (laughs) But so, yeah, when I was little, I played a lot of sports and I was very active and kind of did like basketball and swimming and like, different kind of manly sports per se um and then I had an accident like randomly on like the playground and broke my arm so I couldn't really do any of those other sports so it was like a little like I didn't really know what to do with myself so then I just kept bugging my dad to go ride a pony like randomly like out of (laughs) nowhere and he took me and you know I started at a really local, local level, um, like at a barn right down the street. And it grew from there into, you know, leasing a first pony, buying a first pony. And then the rest is kind of, you know, we got here somehow.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, At what point did you realize that you would like to do this at more of like a a full-time professional capacity?
1: I'd say a few years into it, you know, I started really locally and I just had no idea that like how big this sport is. (laughs) So I'd say when I bought my first pony and I started riding with Don Stewart when I was like 12, um, with Don Stewart and Bibby Farmer, you know, they kind of opened my eyes to what I could be, what the goals are, what, you know, the shows are to go to and the best place to be and ride and kind of where it can go. And then I'd say when I was like, 13 or 14, it kind of really took off into a place where I wanted to commit to it, mm-hmm. uh, made it a full-time gig, you know, did the homeschooling, all that. So I really made that commitment at a young age, I'd say.
0: Yeah. So while you were riding at a local farm, how did you get in contact with Don and Bibby? How, how was that transition?
1: Um, I'd say super random. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, my parents had no connections, no idea whatsoever. And I think my mom just kind of like got on the Internet and like Googled barns and the best nice. places. And obviously Baby Farmer is, is and um, was one of the best pony trainers in the country. Right. Um, so I think it came naturally to my mom when doing research to find out like who to buy the pony from. That mm-hmm. that's how we got connected with them.
0: Awesome. What did your, especially coming from a, a non-horsey family? I mean, there's there's such a a big time commitment, a financial commitment, and I mean, was this something that your parents were like gung ho about? They're like ready to have you like take this as far as you can take it, or what or, were there struggles like that along the way? How was that dynamic?
1: Yeah, my parents were absolutely amazing. I mean, hands down. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into, and when I decided this is what I want to do, this is where I want my life to go. we are comfortable and have enough to get by, but my parents, in no regard are you know wealthy enough to support me at probably the level that I wanted and definitely the level you know of my peers surrounding me. but they did everything in their power, took out more money loans and always my mom was trying to get me catch rides and they were just great and doing everything they possibly could to get me the most opportunities possible. So I have to thank them. They really, obviously it took a huge financial uh, support from them to get me where I was today. And I definitely spent more money than my brothers and sisters, uh, baseball <laughs> activities. So, exactly, uh, you know, there was a little bit of unfairness there, but they were amazing through that.
0: Awesome. So growing up, did you have, was the majority of your riding and showing with your personal ponies and horses, or were you doing a lot of uh, catch riding?
1: A lot of catch riding. Mm-hmm. When I started, obviously my parents didn't know about catch riding or that sure. was anything. So when I was little, I had a pony. And then when I grew out of the pony, I had one horse. And then from there, you know, my parents basically saw all these kids around me having 10 to 20 horses. Sure. And, um, that's just something that they couldn't do. So, um, them kind of working as hard as they could Talked to Don and said like, how does this work? Like, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, he explained the working student position. So from a young age, I was a working student and worked off everything, you know, to try to help my parents. And Mm -hmm. that also Don Stewart is one of the biggest barns and best catch riding barns, you know, to get those opportunities. Um, so he was really detrimental and me basically from when I was 14 on, I'd say most of my riding career was catch rides.
0: Okay. And, um, for a program like Don's, let's say where there is a lot of catch riding for, for a rider who is looking to do that, how do you go about being a part of a barn like that? Is there a process of, you know, having to try out or, or what, what does that look like?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think everyone's case is different. I, for sure, like I started riding with Vivi as a client. So my connection with them in that barn was through being a client and then growing into, you know, Hey, my son wants to do this on the biggest level, but we can't afford it. How can we make this work? Um, Mm -hmm. and Don has had working students, you know, for million years and produced very successful riders i think i'm very lucky that he saw something in me and you know was hopeful that i had enough talent and with his kind of finishing touches could be successful in the sport so i'd say for people to get in touch yeah i mean i think just pick up the phone calls you know send a video say you um, are looking to get into the sport more and i think any connections you have in the sport are like really detrimental so
0: Definitely. Yeah, Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's really good advice. So uh, tell me a little bit about your transition from being a junior rider to having the professional status.
1: Um, Okay, so I I rode with Don for many years and then I actually trained with Andre Dignelli and Heritage Farm for a few years in my junior career and then also a few years after I aged out and I also worked with a bunch of people um Tim and Kelly Gogan, Ivan Rakowski and then Heritage once again after I aged out I was a little bit lost didn't really know where I wanted to you know what I wanted to do where I wanted to go if I wanted to go to school I think that's really hard for a lot of kids that want to do this you know boys don't have that option to ride NCAA it's only girls only sport in college I did get offered a full scholarship to go and ride I just say, but I just found that really hard to wrap my head around because, you know, I was doing the sport at a high level and I just, for me, I couldn't like reconcile it with myself to take four years out of my life to basically, you know, go and study when I could use those four years to be in the sport and, and doing it and learning from like real people in the real industry. So I opted out of college and I continued to work You know, now getting paid, but basically doing the same jobs, um, riding and showing. And then, yeah, Andre Dignelli was a super big influence of mine, getting me on my feet, kind of making me who I am today. And then once I sort of felt comfortable enough, I'd say in the last two years with myself and my reputation and kind of my resume, I started branching out on my own and kind of doing my own thing, helping some bigger clients like Lindsay Maxwell And, you know, now I have my own kind of business, which has been amazing. And we've had such great success starting off, which is really hard as a young professional, definitely someone of my age, I think it's like a scary thing to do. But I'm like, so thankful for all the support. And, you know, we've gotten back in this industry. So
0: Definitely. What was it like? uh, Because I I think when when we met, you were working with Lindsay. Um, How did you meet her and how did you um, how did she kind of create a position for you? What did that look like?
1: Yeah, again, it's kind of like a small world, you know, connections type thing, I would say. I didn't know Lindsay at all until. Two years ago now, she actually tried my horse. I owned okay. uh, an investment horse that I did in the derbies, and um, he was quite successful. So she tried him, actually, and, you know, he wasn't for her. It didn't work out. But through that trial, we basically were became friends. And, you know, then we hung out and went to dinner a few times. And from there, her program was changing and evolving. And she, you know, Lindsay Maxwell Equestrian had really become something of its own. And so I just started helping her.
0: Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And then what it what did your role look like uh, working with Lindsay?
1: Riding and training, I'd say primarily.
0: Awesome. And so now you are kind of adjusting even more. What what is your current work situation, and um, what are your what are your goals for it?
1: Well, I'd say. What has always been my goal is to be a professional rider. And I think that includes both in the hunter ring and the jumper ring. I have been fortunate enough this year to um, got some big jumper opportunities, um, as well as the hunter opportunities always. Primarily, I'd say I've been known as a hunter rider in my career. And then Mm -hmm. this year, I've really branched out into the jumper. So it's been great. Um, So my goal has been to be a rider and be successful in both rings. And yeah, so recently I started kind of my own business and we take on clients and train and the same sorts of things. Also sales horses, basically those opportunities that allow me to um, keep showing and riding.
0: Amazing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, are you do I know you had mentioned when you first met Lindsay uh, you were selling your investment horse. Are you personally owning horses and looking for investment horses right now or are you primarily focusing on client horses?
1: Yeah, I'm always looking for nice horses. I think nice horses, real legitimate nice horses are hard to find these days. Sure. And um when you find one, I think you have to do everything in your power to you know, scoop up that opportunity. And I, that was my first kind of one. Uh, his name was Cataretto. It was my first investment horse I'd ever done. And I was very skeptical about the whole idea, Sure, Um, but I'm really happy I did. You know, you have to take that risk and that leap and it really worked out for me. I, I made a profit and I got some good experience and I think it's great to you know, then have a reputation as a salesperson saying, hey, Jeffrey sells successful, nice horses. So I think that is a great part of the industry to be able to kind of navigate.
0: Cool. Hey guys, interrupting you really quick to remind you my favorite time of the year. Black Friday is fast approaching each year. I come out with a free online holiday lookbook that goes over all of the big deals in the equestrian industry, as well as staying up to date on the fashion trends. So head over to myequestrianstylecom lookbook to sign up for early access so that as soon as the lookbook comes out, you'll be the first to know. All right. That wasn't so bad. Was it? <laughs> Let's get back to the episode. Awesome. And what do you look for in that um, type of investment horse that is successful?
1: Well, it depends. You know, I think whichever ring you're trying to, you know, the jumpers or the hunters, I think it's much different. Obviously, a totally. um, hunter movement, how they look, how they jump, is it slow? Are they calm? That sort of thing is the mind, right? Um, with yep. the jumper, I like I like quick. I like sharp. I like, um, you know, very agile horses and it's a, obviously it's easier said than done, but it's really like a feeling for me. Um, mm-hmm. when riding a horse, like I can tell within five seconds if I like it or not, or, if totally. it or not, and, you know,
0: yep, absolutely. Um, what would you say is your favorite part of being a part of the equestrian industry? Kind of a big question.
1: (laughs) um, For sure. I mean, the animals are my favorite. I mean, I just think we're so lucky to be able to work with such incredible creatures. I mean, the fact that we can get on the backs of horses and jump jumps and it's a competition and it's a sport. I think that's just such a cool thing in itself. And I think I've met so many incredible people through this industry and connections and I don't know. I've just, I've made great friends and I'm really happy with the people that are in my life. And this is my ideal, you know, life. So I'm really, really happy.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I, that's always been, you know, the favorite part of mine as well is that it's such a passion of mine that it, you know, obviously there are long days and lots of travel and and there's, there's aspects that are, you know, that are tough, but, Overall, it's such a passion and it's such a love that it's a lot of time doesn't feel like work. And that's always been the goal for me when finding a career. So that's, that's amazing that you've been able to find that as well. Um, And then on the flip side, what would be what's what's an area of uh, the equestrian industry that you feel like um, kind of as a whole needs to maybe be more mindful of or maybe needs to improve upon?
1: Hmm. That's a hard question. I mean, I'm sure this has been said before um, and I'm sure it's not the last time it'll be said, but I just wish there was a part of the sport that didn't solely involve money. There just is a part of the sport that when you have financial backing, it is easier. It is um, more accessible. It is, you know, you hate to say like, oh, they bought the better horse, but sometimes that just comes into it. And I just, I wish there was a way to make the world in which we love and to compete in a little bit more fair for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. coming from a family with not a lot of money and not a lot of means, I worked my ass off and I'm so grateful for, you know, the way I was raised and what has brought me here today, but I just wish it was a little easier for everybody.
0: Yeah, definitely. We'll have to keep working on that because I think, I think you are not alone when you say that for sure. And what's an area of the industry that you are extremely passionate about and you love that you feel like a lot of people don't really talk about or, um, just something that you would want to like have shed more light on.
1: Um, well, obviously I love showing. I mean, I think everybody loves showing I think That's just the best part of it. Totally. Um, you know, when you put in all that hard work and effort and blood, sweat and tears and you go in and you, you know, have a beautiful round or a clear round, whichever your kind of goals are, I think mm-hmm. that there's nothing more rewarding. Working with young horses and bringing them along, I think that's an incredible experience to watch a horse, you know, learn and gain experience and knowledge and, you know, come into themselves, I think is a, is a great thing to live through. Mm -hmm. One thing I really, really love, which um, I know a lot of people don't, and I know a lot of people maybe might not know about me, but I love training. Like, I love Mm -hmm. helping people and giving them the knowledge that I've learned to help them and their horse and further them in their career. I get a lot, a lot, a lot of joy out of helping horses and riders together and hopefully, you know, for them to become more successful. I I think me as a young professional last year, you know, Lindsay was grand champion at all the indoor shows last fall. And a lot of mm-hmm. people maybe, maybe didn't look at me and take me that seriously. But, you know, I think me and Lindsay were a real force to be reckoned with. And Definitely. I think, you know, a lot of people take us more seriously now, um, which was really cool.
0: Absolutely. When did you in your career, because obviously you were doing a lot of riding and a lot of training a- at what point were you starting to, uh, train clients? Was that right off the get go, like teaching lessons and, and helping at shows?
1: Yeah. As soon as I okay. aged out, you know, and wasn't a junior, I really hel- started helping people, you know, that started just what you said, you know, hel- lessons and at home and mm-hmm. just kind of supervising almost like, uh, just overseeing it all and making sure nobody got hurt and telling them, you know, the basic kind of you sure. know heels down, wrong diagonal type of stuff. Yep. Um, I think when you're young and when you're a young professional, it's very hard for your peers and obviously your elders. I mean, just physically being young, I think it's hard for people to take you seriously. So that was a little bit of a struggle, I have to say, for me being young, but also knowing that I want to do it and also knowing kind of what I think is right and what I think the sport like needs. I think that, um, it was hard for people to take me seriously, but that was something that I'm really glad that I kept fighting for. Cause now I think people do, and I'm really um, happy with that.
0: Yeah. Um, how would you say that, uh, that you were able to, I guess, stay up to date and relevant on your knowledge as far as training clients? I mean, obviously a big part is, just being in the grind and like day in and day out showing. But do you ever feel, I mean, especially like myself being a young professional as well, being young and and being in that position, it definitely, I know sometimes I would struggle saying like, am, am I like worthy to be in this position? Do I know enough to be in this position? I mean, how did you kind of like combat that mindset and say like, no, I do know enough. And And what are some ways that you are able to kind of stay on top of your knowledge as a professional.
1: Yeah, I, that's definitely something I think everybody has to kind of, you know, remind themselves like, um, this sport is so it has really taken off and it's like something of its own. It's always changing. It's always getting more modern. It's always, Mm -hmm. um, you know, evolving. And I think that you have to change with the sport in order to be successful. Um, I think a lot of people and wealthy people, especially are always looking for the best and newest and, you know, most, uh, successful thing. I think it might sound cliche, but really, I mean, being a sponge and soaking up, you know, the successful people around you watching Mm -hmm. them, you know, listening to them. Um, I know you work with Chris and Dave, they are one of the most successful hunter programs. I would love to sit and listen to you know, how they plan their day and how they train their clients. I think you have to decide where you want to be successful. And if it's in both ranks, that's great, just like me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think you have to really be diligent and not like, Oh, we're just gonna like do the jumpers. I think you have to really (laughs) um, be able to be competitive and blend with the people that are being successful and not stand out as kind of an outlier, you know, people, won't take you seriously that way.
0: Definitely. Um, had you done a lot in the jumper ring as a junior?
1: No, um, I didn't. I, you know, I had a few catch rides in the low juniors, medium juniors. I never jumped the high juniors. Um, I never did young riders. I never did pre-estates, which was sad for me because it wasn't one of my biggest goals. Yeah. Um, but again, just financially and people just that opportunity did not arise for me. Um, right. However, I did win the USET finals, which is—I don't want to say more of a jumper final, but it mm-hmm. definitely opens a lot of doors for U.S. teams, and it's supposed to be yeah. the kind of structure, um, base level to for riders to learn to, you know, represent the country and go on to jump grand prix, etc. So I think that was a big uh, help for me. And then when I started. Uh when I turned professional, I got a lot more jumper opportunities and started jumping in some smaller Grand Prix. And then this uh summer, uh double H Casey and Quentin were nice enough to lend me one of their amazing animals. And I was jumping in the Grand Prix all this summer and was having so much fun and was being quite successful. So I'm really um, you know, happy for that. Awesome. I'm grateful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about, because obviously you have had major success in both the hunter and the jumper rings. Tell me a little bit about your thought process in a successful round as you're entering each ring.
1: Yeah, that's definitely hard. You know, I'm I'm a perfectionist and I have OCD <laughs> and I'm very yep. like attentive to detail. So, you know, I, a lot of people get frustrated with the way I do things and the way I want things kind of done. But for hunters as you know, it needs to be pristine. You know, the animal and the rider's turnout is number one. I mean, it doesn't take, you know, a lot of money to look beautiful and to present yourself well. So I think that's kind of number one for the hunter ring. I carry the same to the jump ring. I think, you know, just because you're not being judged by a person does not mean that you should let your look go. I think that that's really important. That's the first thing people kind of see, you know, like, oh, you don't want to be looking, uh, not the part. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing. And then for the jumpers, you know, I've been taking it slow because I want to be successful. I had a little injury this year, which has kind of set me back. But I think learning to ride the jumpers is way more important than, you know, the ribbons and jumping clear. I think that Mm -hmm. when you put the jumps up, it's more safety and how can you do this right and how can you do this correctly so that it's successful for a long period of time.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I know you were telling me that you had been doing a little bit of work with Laura Kraut uh, with the jumpers. Are you still doing that or can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I actually have known and kind of had a connection with Laura since I was young. She judged the year I won the USAT finals. So since that she has followed my career a little bit Mm -hmm. um, and we've just always been quite friendly. And then when Lindsay wanted to get more into the jumpers, she started working with Laura um, and then we got reconnected. So I've definitely stayed in touch with her throughout my career.
0: Awesome. That's great. And I think that's so cool of you to take the time and like, like you were saying, take it slow and so that you are successful and not skip steps and and get proper, you know, training and instruction. And so I think that's very smart
1: of you to do. basics are (laughs) very important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, that is all I have for you. I am um, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you are a busy man. So thank you for taking yeah. the time to chat with me. And um, I course. know everyone always wants to know about Jeffrey Hessling. So I'm glad <laughs> we took the time <laughs> to talk I'm a little so bit glad. about your story